Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the 17th meeting of DKI Digital Era Entertainment's anime discussion podcast for your listening pleasure. Welcome, welcome. I am one of your hosts, as usual, Digital Era Entertainment founder Mario Bueno. Uh, we have a very fun and very meaty topic for you guys today. It's uh, one that we are definitely uh, big aficionados of, uh, not just here at the show, but just as individuals in general. And it's something that I think a lot of you will be able to relate to. But before we get into any of that, as usual, I would like to welcome the rest of DKI. Joining us from the municipality of Frangiland, <laughs> presumably still in old Frangiville, the wonderful Frangi. How are you today? I'm doing good. Rock and roll. Uh, meanwhile, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I'd like to turn it over to the equally wonderful Emmy Lowe. Yo... And also, Joel, how you doing, guys? Doing all right. Uh, staying inside where it's nice and air-conditioned. Amen to that. <laughs> and also, obviously, uh, keeping busy, because uh, last night you and RJ were uh, presenting another wonderful game that was kicked over to us by the folks over at Radalaika. Uh, a fun visual novel at that. So uh, that looked like uh, you guys had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. Uh, it's an Otome game this time, so RJ is doing the narration in the main character, and uh, I'm doing everybody else, so I'm picking all the different voices for the conquerable characters, as it were. Uh, there's some fun ones in there. Especially Mighty Number no. 9. God, that killed me. It was so good. There was a Mighty Number no. 9 reference that um, one of the characters is, of course, the quarterback of the football team. And the jersey number is nine, and when and his character is extremely smug, and it, when he was introducing himself, he was like, "Don't you know who I am? I'm the mighty number nine, such and such, uh, the quarterback of the football team." And RJ and I just lost it. Yeah, it was it was pretty spectacular. It's one of those little moments uh, when you know that the devs really know their audience. <laughs> and, and we looked it up. So this visual novel is actually from 2013, so it was topical. Oh my, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, so yeah, just quick little recap. Uh, so that that kind of gets us into that usual segment of the show. So from my end, uh, when we last met, I had mentioned that uh, I was going to check out Rent a Girlfriend, which uh, Joel did discuss uh, last time. Uh, I have to say, uh, I'm definitely going to keep up with it. Uh, watched it with Laura. Uh, we we were intrigued. We want to see where it goes. It. It really is a weird one. It falls into that same place that uh, shows like Oreski uh, fell into for us, uh, i.e. it's like there are things that would normally put us off, but there are so many good things going for it that we're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, let's see where this goes. So, and, and also the fact that the things that would normally be off-putting are presented in a light where it's, it, shaming isn't the correct term here, um, but it, it's almost calling out the aspects that would normally be off-putting and saying like this is kind of problematic yeah because because yeah, they never very, go very, very far yeah, yeah it's a very aware show and i do appreciate that uh so that was pretty cool um i also made good on what i said i was going to do and i basically powered through the entirety of tower of god um my quick take on it it, it was a very interesting uh, show, especially visually. The opening theme slaps. Like, that was some quality, quality, like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm pretty sure that was K-pop. Like, that that sounded like... Uh, it was K-pop. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, it it, it, it that and most, that since it was based on a manhwa, and uh, same thing goes for God of High School, uh, I expect that K-pop is going to be the standard for manhwa adaptations into anime because that's the market it was made in yeah and i was gonna say it's appropriate that they did that because of that very fact so that was cool um in in terms of the actual story itself it was definitely it, it was bingeable i uh, i wouldn't say it's going to be one of the high ranking uh shows for the year but for what it represents and how solid it was as just like a general experience uh it definitely sets a good standard moving forward. So I, I applaud it for what it did. 
Yeah, also, I think I, 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 think I now understand why people hate Rachel so much. I won't get into anything, but she's <laughs> legitimately the worst. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Genuinely the worst. Yeah, I, I think that a couple of years from now, we're really going to look back and say, similar to how we've pointed to Sword Art Online kicking off the modern isekai uh, just sort of era, that I think that uh, Tower of God will represent the dawn of uh, what could be a very, very uh, significant manhwa adaptation era. Yeah, and I will say I did watch this one dubbed first, which I normally don't do. Um, but the dub was very solid. Uh, I only saw one episode in Japanese just because the dub was not available, but very solid, uh, highly recommended, an amazing cast as we noted when it first came out. So uh, that's my personal take. And of course, you know, catching up on ReZero week to week. So not too much to report because I think the internet kind of took care of that one for me <laughs> with, with Echidna. <laughs> that's, uh, that's where I'm going to leave it off for me. Um, so what have you guys been up to since we last met up? Are we going Hi. in order? Um, oh, yeah, ahead, <laughs> I finished Honey and Clover season two. It was rough. It, it sure was sounded really, like it. Yeah. It cause... was so rough. Like, I was crying a lot and there was a lot of suffering. And honestly, I feel like this, this show was more like what I wanted from Your Lie in April. Oh. Because, unfortunately, like, I felt more, I I felt like the first half of Your Lie in April hit me a lot harder than the second half. You know? I, I felt, like, I actually feel you I on that. I felt like the yeah. second half copped out and decided to go into the romance route and stuff like that, you know? I got gotcha. And just, like, and, like, it went into the, oh, someone has to have a terminal illness. Is this is suddenly a K-drama or something like that. Whereas the, um... Honey and Clover has bad stuff happening in the art, in like the career arts, whatever, until the end. Yeah, so it sounded like they, they it really goes committed. Full force until the end, yeah. Yeah, they and really for you in particular, that, that it, it, this was a very visceral experience because it, you said in our group chat at one point, uh, my one of my greatest personal fears is playing out in the show. Yeah, and like I was like, I am ready for the third disc of season two. I have my ice cream, I have my wine, and I turned it on, and then the title music for the for the what's it called? The play you know, where you press play or whatever, what is it called? Also just the, uh, the, menu. the disc menu the music. Menu. The menu, yeah. The menu music was incredibly depressing and I'm like, oh no, I'm not ready. Oof. I am not ready. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, suffice to say that when you say that this was a rough watch, that is a, that is praise and that it was successful in eliciting the emotions yeah. that it, it wanted to elicit, that this was and, not rough and that it was uh, poorly executed. Yeah, and w one thing I really love about the show is that the guy doesn't get the girl. Spoilers. No, I mean, like, you find out pretty early. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, so they just they, they straight up early. telegraph that. Yeah, yeah, they they say it pretty early in the sh in the first season that the guy isn't going to get the girl. You can tell that they're not compatible. Okay then. But he still pines after her, you know. Aww. Um but like like it's it's just one of those really realistic shows and even the ending is just very bittersweet. Oh wow. Yeah, it's not a happy ending. It's it's bittersweet. It's realistic if anything. You know, there aren't any miracles or anything. It's what you are expecting. Okay, so it's a it's a very grounded uh, show. Yes. Yes. Okay. So don't basically don't go to it as a comfort show. <laughs> you will need comfort yeah. after you watch Honey and Clover. Basically. <laughs> Got it. But it's amazing. So. Okay, and uh, just as a quick reminder, where are we able to check this particular one out? Good question. Are you able to? Give me a moment. I'll be able to find that. <laughs> Professor Joel is on the case. <laughs> and while he's on the case, uh, Franji, what is going on over in your neck of the woods? Uh, I'm still watching Sword Art Online, Alicization War of the Underworld. At this point, it's going to do what it's going to do. And I'm really just clinging on still in it for uh, one character <laughs> that I'm very invested in. Um, we'll see where that goes. It's it occasionally frustrates me and occasionally makes me really happy. So I'm just trying to not get too attached uh, and just watch it week by week and see what happens. Um, 
still watching Fruits Basket. Oh my God, the most recent episode almost killed me with feels. I just love it so much. And um, actually, I meant to say this last week, but I forgot. Um, Food Wars has started updating again. And yeah. holy my God, it is so good. I feel like this season finally picked back up um, the energy that kind of the last season trailed off on. Um, it was starting to lose me, but now it's just, it's so shonen anime and it's so ridiculous. And what's but, um, interesting is, uh, so I haven't read the manga, but I've seen almost unanimous commentary of people railing against this arc, and it is the final arc, um, that it, this is essentially what almost would amount to an epilogue that you, you can sort of tell that the uh, mangaka was... A coerced wouldn't be the right word, but um, incentivized probably with a very good paycheck to write an additional arc after the what would really what was really the conclusion to the main plot line that had been building up over the four previous seasons. The so I, I was going into this a bit uh, hesitant, to be like, "All right, what what's up with this?" And so far, I'm just having a blast still. So I'm uh, I'm with Franji. I'm really glad to see that. Uh, the scenarios here that it's almost akin to if you watched Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, the champion tournament arc, that this is everyone's here uh, and you're seeing everyone at their best and this is sort of the payoff of uh, even if they aren't professionals yet, uh, this is them at the height of their powers. Yeah, I haven't read the manga, so I, I can't speak to that. All I know is that if it had ended at the end of season four last season, I would have been disappointed because I would have thought you could have got to this point faster. You didn't need to drag that season out. And this is much more uh, evenly paced. And I just love the idea of an of a food underworld, like a food mafia. It's so entertaining. Uh, and and, and really the thing is, like, it, I have to imagine this exists in some very real capacity that basically the antagonists here uh, are a, a food mafia or syndicate that basically these are chefs who will who are willing to serve underworld figures, so yakuza, or chefs that will use uh, illegal or poached ingredients, things of that nature. So uh, this isn't just like wantonly evil; that this is people who are willing to uh, shirk some morals and uh, uh, do things that are literally illegal. Yeah, it's a great concept, great villains, and Fukuyama June plays um, what's his face really brilliantly. Now, of course, yeah, I can't the, think the, of name. the final boss. Yeah, the final. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Okay, awesome. Uh, and I guess Joel, we did a little bit of recap for you, but uh, besides uh, having some visual novel fun uh, on last night's stream, uh, what else are you up to this week? Uh, keeping up with the weeklies, so uh, I am a couple behind on Fruits Basket, but. Um... Uh, Fire Force, uh, God of High School, ReZero, Rent-A-Girlfriend. Um, but most of what I did this week was watch, I believe I'm on episode 19 or 20 of Samurai Champloo. Nice. Oh, nice. And uh, here's my hot take. It's okay. Like, it, it's certainly not bad, don't get me wrong. And I see why it is so popular with so many people. It is very much Samurai Bebop. Yeah. And even, that is also Ken to say it out that way last week when he was introducing it. So, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, Bebop, I hold in very high regard, but Bebop is OK plus plus for me for the same reasons as this. And that's mostly because it's episodic and there's not a whole ton of character growth. And uh, it, while there is a tenuous underlying story that's being pursued, it, it doesn't necessarily have something that is like, it, there's no hook that is keeping me going from episode to episode. And uh, in some ways, that is why the show was so successful, because it was so episodic and it made it extremely accessible when it was broadcast on uh, Toonami or Adult Swim. Uh, and uh, that's the format, as I've said in previous episodes, that American media is generally produced to be episodic. And uh, that's just generally not my style. Uh, Nothing wrong with people who like that. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a bad show. It, it's definitely uh, relevant for just uh, its time and its representation and it, it, its style. It, it is still a Shinjiro Watanabe show, and it has his quality bar. So if it, it's what it says on the tin, and if it sounds like 
if, if shampoo sounds like something you'll enjoy, you're going to enjoy it. And there's really nothing bad I can say about it. It's just, it's not my style. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, like your, your criticism is definitely one that even. And I'm going to finish it. Don't get me wrong. I will finish this show that it, it is totally fine. So like, uh, I'm not going to say that this was a waste of time or that it, it is uh, undeserving of the praise that so many people give it. For a second, my family's calling. Okay, no worries. Okay. <clears throat> go go handle the things. <laughs> we'll we'll continue on. Um, but uh, yeah, that's me. All right, rock and roll. And just to put a pin in that, uh, to your point, your criticism again, like even fans of the show will definitely agree. Yeah, you know, it's it's not Bebop, but it's still it's still a good time. And I think that's why it still has that enduring legacy, like you mentioned, and the fact that it does cater to a more Western uh, aesthetic of episodic television. Yeah, it makes it really Despite easy to everything jump in. aesthetically in the show being extremely Japanese. Yeah, so it makes it, it made it easier for people to kind of jump in, jump out. So there's there's a lot of positives going for it. That again, it it evens itself out essentially. So very cool. So uh, our topic for today, and for those of you watching the live broadcast, um, this. This is not a Dogenopolis appreciation episode, despite what the image on your screen may infer, but um, we still love our, our little web show that could, and it is very relevant to today's episode because we did that for an anime merchandise retailer, Image Anime here in New York City. We'll be coming back to them in the main topic. Merchandising, but, where the real money from the franchise is made. One of my favorite quotes from Spaceballs, my God. <laughs> I'm so happy we got to work that in. <laughs> Uh, so today we wanted to do just a kind of general discussion on merchandise. Now, very clearly, they, a lot of the things we're going to be discussing can essentially be episodes in and of themselves, and we definitely are happy to do deep dives into some of these topics, but we thought it'd be kind of fun as a nice little relaxing episode to just kind of talk about merch. Uh, we'll we'll do some cursory discussions of uh what what types of merch are out there some of the more popular things you can find uh and we're also going to not just give you some idea of some of the best places to go and pick these up but also what to watch out for because bootlegging is unfortunately a big part uh of of anime merch that uh we want you to be educated consumers about when going about uh, picking up merch so let's dive right into it um i i know for for my experience anime merch uh, has been one of those, it was one of those gateways for anime. Uh, I know I talked in the early episodes about how Gunpla essentially got me to go and watch more of Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, one of the one of the first uh, pieces of anime merch I got, uh, funny enough, was actually a, a fan-created uh, plush, which I got for my first girlfriend as a present because I couldn't exactly just go walking into a store other than Image Anime, which, spoiler, I didn't know about at the time because I was still super new to anime, <laughs> and pick up a, a cute little uh, plush of Utena from Revolutionary Girl Utena. Like, I straight up commissioned a plush. So, you know, fan-made merchandise, which, funny enough, is one of the gags that was played into in the scene from Dogenopolis that we're, we're showing you guys live on, on the feed here. Um, that was one of my other early experiences with anime merch and a thing that we are going to need to kind of address while we go through it. Um, also, Crunchyroll uh, has a very good video on sp specifically figures, and I believe they also did one on Gunpla over on their YouTube channel. I've watched the figures one, absolutely fascinating, and it goes hand in hand with some stuff that you can also find in, of all places, uh, the, the seminal Gainax anime Otaku no Video. Uh, they go into... Uh, garage kits quite a bit in there and we are going to come back to model kits uh, as well but just just some places to kind of you know look around uh, to find more information and fun little tidbits about this beyond what we're going to be able to kind of touch on today so again for me my early experiences were things like gunpla and and fan-made plush and uh things of that nature uh going round table uh starting with frangi uh, what were some of the early pieces of merchandise you remember kind of coming across when you were getting really into anime or exploring the fandom more? Um, honestly, I think it was just posters and wall scrolls mostly because um, when I was first really getting into anime and going to conventions where all the merch was for me, um, 
that was what I could carry easily. And um, I was in college and I wanted to decorate my dorm, which was just empty walls. Um, but there was also some Gunpla in there because uh, Gundam Seed was the first Gundam that I really got into. And I was at Anime Boston 2006 or seven, And uh, there was a booth with with a bunch of Gunpla. And I was just like, oh, geez, I have to build the Buster and the the Duel and the Aegis. And, the, and I walked away with like four boxes of, of Gunpla and had to carry that. Um, but yeah, the uh, Wall Scrolls posters and Gunpla were my starters for merch. Okay. Um, Joel, what about you? What are some of your early pieces of anime merch that kind of like made their way into your life as you were beginning the journey as a dedicated otaku? So for me, um, definitely scrolls and posters were big flashy things that caught my eye. But for whatever reason, there's just very few designs out there that I like. And over the years, I found I just don't put stuff on my walls. So that really wasn't there. Um, I would buy the occasional t-shirt, but uh, the stuff that I usually found myself drawn to and the things that I still find myself drawn to are usually uh, trinkets. So not necessarily like prop replicas, but uh, things of that nature. Um, I distinctly remember the first piece of merch that I bought was a uh, Full Metal Alchemist State Alchemist pocket watch. Uh, nice. <gasps> you nerd, that's great. Functional ones. Uh, um, later on, I bought the uh, gold key that uh, Aaron has from Attack on Titan, the basement key. Oh, that's so awesome. So it's like uh, accessories, essentially. Um, the other big thing that I would always be looking for at conventions is just something that I hadn't seen before and wasn't sure if I could find it easily online. So for figures or just... Uh, DVDs or other things that uh, if I felt that I could just pull it up on Amazon or if I knew that uh, right stuff would have it or that I could buy it uh, directly from the the licensor, I usually wouldn't buy it because it's just one more thing for me to carry and pack and uh, I don't want to have to lug it around during the convention. Uh, but for you know more unique merch like that or just things that I really hadn't seen before or if I only saw one vendor with it, that's usually what would get me. So something that I just felt that I couldn't get somewhere else. Okay. Uh, as you guys uh, heard, uh, we've kind of touched on, in just our own early experiences, a lot of the different types of uh, very popular uh, merchandise that you can find around. And these are the ones that uh, I thought we could start highlighting uh, basically right off the bat. So let's start with figures. Uh, me personally, uh, I am a very avid figure collector. Now, to be clear, figures can mean very different things to people. For me, when I hear figures, I think of action figures, i.e. articulated things that have, you know, multiple joints and are basically intended for play as opposed to display. But other folks will think of figures as, you know, more statue-type items, even if they have maybe a movable part here and there. Um, so figures are, are definitely a good catch-all. Uh, Again, I personally am more of an action figure person, so I'm the kind of guy who would collect things like SH Figuarts, uh, which are put out by Tamashii Nations, which are a subsidiary of, of Bandai. Um, <clears throat> also, the, the folks at Good Smile Company, they're known for their Figma line, which we actually devoted uh, a couple of jokes in Dojanopolis to <laughs> uh, in, in the fourth episode of the show. Um, but they're also known for their Nendroids, which definitely are one of those that can be something articulated for play, but are also very much intended for uh, display, much like a Funko Pop. Um, Kyoto puts out the uh, Reveltech figures, which are very highly articulated display pieces. Uh, and of course, uh, Hot Toys, they're, they're known for their high-end 12-inch figures that are really expensive, but they are incredibly high quality. And they don't just... A lot of these figure companies... Uh, while we are mainly focusing on them for anime, have been kind of branching out. So you're getting things like uh, Marvel Avengers figures, uh, not just in terms of, you know, these statue-style things, but also, uh, you know, articulated figures for all of these lines. Um, so again, this is just the, the action type alone. These are the things I would pick up. Statues. Uh, you're looking at uh, companies like Kotobukiya, who also, in some capacity, do dabble in some of these other merchandise types. 
uh, like model kits, which we will come back to. Uh, Banpresto, one that not just myself, but also Joel have uh, proudly represented at, at actual trade shows. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was that was fun. Uh, just, um, it, I guess, for me personally, when it comes to figures, and this is my general stance on statues, action figures, uh, uh, models, everything of this sort, I love looking at this stuff. And I have essentially no interest of owning any of it. <laughs> that like I'll, I'll look I'll look up different figures online. I I really appreciate the craftsmanship. I love seeing the different poses. Working with Ben Presto, uh, they were doing their annual uh, model creation contest. Actually, where uh, they have a thing where uh, people submit their own unique designs for models, and those are then voted on by fans. And the ultimate winner. Uh, becomes a actual piece that is manufactured and distributed. So we got to see some of the uh, the proofs or like the early designs, and uh, they had a video rolling throughout that weekend of just sort of the procedure that goes into actual model making. And uh, it is a, a fascinating art and science. Uh, but me personally, I guess, just I... Clutter is... Uh, not a fair word to use here, but just, I guess, uh, I don't, I don't like owning things that I can't really use that much. There, there's exceptions that I own, I think, total of like four or five small figures that cost maybe 10 to $25 each, but no, nothing extravagant that, uh, I, I guess I feel like for me personally, I can get the same amount of joy from looking at the pictures online or just going around a uh, dealer's hall and admiring all the different designs as I can from owning it and having it on my shelf. But uh, I know that I am absolutely in the minority for that. Well, normally, no. See, normally I'd be with you on that. They are the really nice statue figures are the kind I like, but they're difficult to get your hands on because sometimes they can be expensive. Um, sometimes there are only so many of them that they make. Um, then you have to be really careful putting them together and then you have to have a place to display them and blah, blah, blah. But the reason that I'm always a sucker for them now and then is because they make the perfect 3D cosplay references. So you don't have to look oh. up a million snapshots of like, oh, I need a frame of the back of this outfit and what this seam line looks like. You can just turn it in 360 degrees and it's all there for you. I hadn't really even thought of it as being that type of functional reference for a cosplay, it but is. that makes for perfect me, sense. Oh, that absolutely. Just... Um, I've, I've actually so, purchased so, it, so if you're a uh, So if you're a cosplayer it. who has a business, are you able to write off a figure purchase as a business expense? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would actually, actually, I would argue yes because you are. I, I would think you could. Purposes. Yeah, no, because it, it, it is research and reference, and that you'd be able to very, very clearly and easily prove. All right, I have created this outfit, and it is obviously the same as this one, and that it, this gives me a scale reference. So that probably would actually satisfy the requirements for tax purposes so hey cosplayers if you're listening a <laughs> little something to think about next time tax season rolls around yeah yeah I, you're I, welcome figurines are your references yeah i was about to say like i have legitimately not just for myself but for others purchased action figures as legitimate cosplay references because yep. yeah um since they're they're coming from official sources that obviously have access to you know all the the official materials to make it as uh, authentic as possible it's a great reference point. <laughs> like, let's be real. So yeah, uh, to that point, yes, you can use it as a legitimate business expense, and it's pretty. Handy Please note that we are not actual tax advisors. Please consult your tax professional when you're filing. Also, because the <laughs> results results not guaranteed for everybody in every market. So yes, good advice there. Um, and I suppose while we're doing the fine print, I suppose that we should uh, say we are not in any way hashtag sponsored by any of the companies that we're talking about today. But if any of those companies are listening and would like to hashtag sponsor us, we are open to those discussions. This is a very valid thing because Lord knows I've wanted that from Banpresto for a while, <laughs> especially for our Patreon. <laughs> that being said, uh, so going back to Franji's point uh, about, you know, liking the the uh, statues uh, as, you know, reference. So another another reason I enjoy them is basically for that reason. But in more recent times, uh, especially cohabitating with someone who doesn't enjoy traditional style action figures, but does enjoy, um, you know, more traditional statue types, uh, it has been a fun way to kind of share in the fandom. So um, 
I don't know if I've talked about this on the show proper. I believe I might have, so feel free to correct me if, if I'm wrong. Um, but one of the things that uh, Laura and I have done, we've actually started a themed statue collection for Rem because we discovered that uh, there are multiple outfits that would fit the four seasons. So we have been collecting seasonal REMs. We are three seasons down. One of them is still on its way because, uh, as Franji mentioned, there are the the pitfalls of exclusivity and in some time, in some cases, release windows. Um, but we're three seasons down. We just need the fall. <laughs> and it's been nice. a pretty cool way for us to kind of celebrate this character we both like, while also bringing a little bit more uh, nerd decor to our wonderful home. That's great. So yeah, like you can you can be really creative with these, and it, it there are ways to find things that appeal to you know both, uh, you know the traditional action figure enthusiast and the statue collector. Um, I'm, I I want to skip ahead to another one that we just talked about because uh, this one is another uh, really interesting one that has kind of uh, shifted a little bit in terms of general popularity over the last decade in particular. Uh, and that's posters and wall scrolls. Uh, I say that preface for wall scrolls in particular, uh, because while it has been kind of a hallmark and one of those things that has been very distinctly, uh, you know, associated with anime fandom, while, you know, you can certainly get wall scrolls of unrelated things, there's this association with the anime fandom itself, but it has been kind of waning in popularity over the years. I know in discussions I had uh, over at Image Anime uh, in the past couple of years, you know, they, it, it's one of those products that hasn't really had the staying power it used to, but it is still something that is available, something that is still a very key component. Uh, so, Franji, uh, going back to your example, you said uh, that you were using these essentially as decor for, like, for example, your, your college room, correct? Yeah, and that's interesting that you say it's waning because if I'm thinking about it, I have not bought a wall scroll for years and years. Um, I put them up in, in college with posters that I just literally taped to the walls. But I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten <laughs> fancier and classier and more snobbier. And so I'll get like fan art or something and then I'll put it in actual frames and I'll mount the frames on the wall. Um, whereas the wall scrolls just kind of hang there and maybe they got kind of dusty. I don't know. And I just didn't keep my old ones because I was moving on to to different shows and then i and then it's a lot that i don't want to carry the wall scrolls around the con yeah uh and and the other point uh to, to kind of follow up on this if you look at what wall scrolls are available uh while they do still manufacture ones that are essentially contemporary to current shows i can tell you right now uh, i have sometimes had a hard time trying to shop for specific wall scrolls uh for for specific shows just because they're not putting them out uh in quite the same volume that they used to because of this shift in taste. Uh, you, you bring up fan art that, again, kind of goes back to what I mentioned at the, the beginning of this discussion, you know, with, with fan-created work being equally as prized uh, as the official merchandise. So, hmm. yeah, that that is another thing that has been taken into account. Uh, Joel, what about you? Where, where are you on this particular, uh, uh, these particular I owned, products? I owned a few wall scrolls back in the day, but this was in late high school, early college. And it, once again, it wasn't many, but this is also just the fact that it, I don't own much fan art either. I just don't really have anything of uh, note on my walls. Um, but I do find it interesting uh, because uh, I have noticed that uh, there have been less wall scrolls about that. You have the usual vendors who are always uh, just bringing around an assortment. But at the same time, usually if you see those just literal walls of wall scrolls at conventions a lot of the titles are older ones that you see a lot of death note a lot of one piece a lot of, a lot of the shonens and the the evergreens but not necessarily as much of the new ones and um i have no data whatsoever to back up this this conjecture but i wonder if it is partially due to the uh aging of the anime fandom uh, in the sense that we now have more disposable income than before so we are able to do that sort of upgrade to uh figurines and fancier things like franji was saying uh but also there is the very true fact of um fan art has gotten exponentially better over the past decade and is now uh just uh, it's competing for the same space in a literal and figurative sense 
and uh, I think there's a very big um, a passion really in the anime fandom of supporting artists. So uh, I think that people are, they seem to be more prone to buying fan art now because, all right, I'm going to support the show through all this other merch, you know, the, the figures, the, the shirts, and all this other stuff. But uh, fan art is one of the more reliable ways to support others in the community. So uh, my guess is that people prioritize that over wall scrolls and uh, official uh, posters and things of that sort. But uh, like I said, that's really just a guess. But I feel like it's at least a plausible one. Oh, no, it most definitely is. And uh, all your points are ones that I definitely would have raised for, you know, what speculative, speculatively speaking could be why we're seeing this shift. And especially to the point of high quality uh, fan-made merch, um, I, I'm immediately thinking of this one uh, fan-made merchandise retailer, uh, Displate. They do these um, metal-style posters, and they look incredible, but they are very much independently run and doing multiple properties. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, even at a smaller scale, maybe a, a $45 piece of art that is on metal. That's, that is pretty metal, <laughs> if you ask me. So things like that are, are definitely good competing alternatives uh, and line up with what you were just mentioning about the age groups. So I want to also move on briefly to model kits before we talk about another uh, another particular type of merch that we kind of led on with in our, our initial uh, backstories with anime merch in general, I want to talk briefly about model kits. Uh, I mentioned that in Otaku no Video, there is a lot of time spent on the old-style garage kits. I'll be honest, I'm not a specialist in this at all, and most of what I know comes from things like Otaku no Video and other, uh, you know, tangential pieces of, of media that, you know, just kind of touch on the, the scene in, like, you know, the 70s and 80s. Um, and then we have Gunpla, which I've been basically running for as long as Mobile Suit Gundam. So, you know, well over Gunpla is an in Gunpla is an industry unto itself. Exactly. So, like, you, you still see a lot of other uh, manufacturers trying to put their own spin on this. Like I mentioned before with statues, Kotobukiya. They make plenty of model kits as well. Like, there was one that I'm really sad I never got. They did Metal Gear Rex from the Metal Gear Solid series. And my God, I wanted that model kit so bad. Um, but, you know, they're known more for their their uh, statues uh, than they are for their model kits. Because, again, the gold standard is the Gunpla. Um, garage kits, those were kind of the, the in-between for a statue-type action figure, or a statue-type figure, uh, and the, the Gunpla-style uh, build-it-yourself kits. Uh, my understanding is it basically was like this, this, this kind of like DIY kit that you would have to assemble and paint and all this stuff, uh, and it was basically, uh, you know, built around molds and what have you, so stuff, stuff that was like really hands-on DIY. And that sounds like a bit of a pain. <laughs> Let's be real here. So, you know, with the PVC figure uh, coming into prominence, uh, that really changed things and made it a little bit more accessible for people to be able to get anime merch of, you know, their favorite characters from a show. And that is still one of the gold standards. Um, so for, for Franji, you mentioned that... Um, you mentioned that for you, Gunpla was one of those uh, types of model kits... Uh, were there yeah. any other model kits that have really caught your eye over the years, or has it just been, like, Ride or Die Gunpla? Yeah, pretty much Ride or Die Gunpla. Um, for Actually, for my wife's birthday, like, five or six years ago, someone got her um, a model of the Lancelot uh, from Code Geass. And, God, I still don't think she's done building that. I keep threatening to finish it for her, because I'm like, how can you not finish the Lancelot? Uh, but that's the only one that uh, I can think of that hasn't been just Ride or Die Gunpla. Okay. Um, and Joel, uh, any model kits that have um, come across your particular uh, field of interest? Or is this just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good without these? It follows the same logic for me personally as figures, but with the uh, added disincentive of work on top of it. <laughs> That's, That's fair. fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, that type of display just for whatever reason, I honestly couldn't tell you what psychological reason it is that this thing that applies and uh, entices so many people just 
doesn't apply to me. I couldn't tell you why, but it doesn't. And if I'm not going to buy it pre-built, I sure as heck am not going to buy it unbuilt. But, well, then again, I suppose it, there is some logic to say that some people might uh, prize the experience of actually building and uh, that effort put in. So then again, it, uh, I, I take back the, the initial reasoning, but suffice to say, still no for me. Yeah, and that, that that's is totally valid. It, it is because uh, again, for me, you know, figures like I said, I wasn't much into the um, the the statue types uh, until fairly recently, uh, and even then, look at what it took. It took like a very specific theme to get me to want to pick up more of those. Uh, so it, it, different different strokes for different folks. Uh, and with mm. the model kit building, to be honest, it's less so about the display for me. It's more about the I found it's more about the actual experience of building the kits. Like, I was never really into model kits. I tried to be so hard when I was a kid, um, but just, it wasn't for me. Then I discovered Gunpla, and I'm like, oh, I'm basically building an action figure. And this action figure is stupid posable because it has all these, you know, different joints and what have you, uh, especially in the larger scales. So for me, part of the fun was basically building my own action figure. So Gunpla, uh, here's uh, another hot take. Gunpla is the otaku's Lego. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emphatic yes. Yeah. Because uh, given the creativity, because you were talking about how Banpresto, uh, you know, did their their DIY uh, sculpture contest, uh, you know, Gunpla, they to the point that they basically built a show, like an actual animated show around this. So, yeah, <laughs> that is that is a valid concept because there is a lot of creativity in that space. So, um, yeah, I do want to continue along because there is one more topic that I want to briefly touch on before we move into, like, the next chunk of this discussion, uh, and that is cosplay accessories. Now, Joel, you mentioned that one of your first pieces of merch was essentially a, a cosplay accessory. Um, I, I know I certainly have picked up quite a few cosplay accessories that, for a long time, that was some of the only merch I was really buying, quite frankly, because that was when I was really active in the cosplay community, and, you know, uh, since I, I was not gifted with the ability to DIY a lot of things, I had to kind of rely on existing merch. Um, so let's take it over to Franji for a sec. Franji, has there been uh, any sort of uh, cosplay stuff that you've really gravitated towards for merch? Uh, or is it just kind of like, hey, if I need it, I'll get it? Pillows. The other thing that the only other thing that was on my list was pillows. I have um, some Gias pillows and uh, some My Hero pillows, and I, I don't like to go too overboard with pillows because eventually you don't have space for them. Yeah, you, you, you reach a critical many. mass of pillows, but I, I do yeah. own. It, it's not uh, anime proper, but I own a, a Ruby pillow. Nice, because um, because that that's a nice uh, mix of uh, form and function where it can look really good, but it's also you know uh, I enjoy you know leaning on it or just. A, just using it for any number of things that I uh, eat and they're generally bigger. So uh, they're popular and just uh, visually appealing. So that's definitely something. The only issue with those can end up being it uh, transport again of just, all right, now I need to carry this around the con. Yes. Well, I like to but buy the pillow cases, just the cases and then get the pillow stuffing for it later or something if I can. I haven't seen many pillow cases that aren't uh, Dakimakura. Pillows are really good because it's a combination of form and function, and they're usually larger, so they're uh, very poppy and visually appealing. But they run into the issue of you need to lug them around the convention center because pillow cases are most commonly associated with Dakimakura, otherwise known as body pillows. And if you need a good example of that, I again defer to, if you're watching the live broadcast, the lovely background, even though Chica's wonderful head is obscuring most of that, because that is literally <laughs> in the frame that I chose, because my god, <laughs> yeah, uh, those those pillows are definitely uh, another staple of uh, anime culture and anime merch especially, so yeah, you guys pretty much nailed it on that one. <laughs> and we're already, like, assuming we're counting the, the dead air time, we're already almost at uh, 50 minutes that just Correct. Uh, we, we I said early on uh, when we were prepping today that I was very excited for the show because there is so much that we could talk about that we could make this an arc of episodes and we're not going to do that but uh, this is definitely uh, a watering hole that we are going to be returning to many many times that uh, this is essentially our 
our overview, our primer, and we haven't even started to talk about plushies. Exactly. Uh, so that that in and of itself, like I just kind of lightly touched on at the beginning, we're just going to skip ahead because while while plushies are definitely a fun little thing, uh, I think we'll definitely need to return to that because we also have uh, a few very important points that I did want to get through before the end of the show. We're going to skip a little bit ahead because while I wanted to transition into this with some amusing tales of the old days before uh, e-commerce e really like picked up for, for the nerd fandom, uh, we mentioned that unfortunately bootlegging is a bit of an issue with a lot of these products we just mentioned. Uh, I know... When I was getting into the Gunpla scene, there was a lot of warnings of what to watch out for because that particular product was very highly counterfeited, especially during the Toonami boom when a lot of this product was starting to make its way to Western shelves, but not always uh, accessible on those Western shelves. So, Joel, uh, I'm going to turn this one over to you because you have a couple of really good tips for what uh, astute fans should watch out for, not just in... Uh, certain retailers, but especially on convention floors, because let's face it, you know, that and the rando on Amazon <laughs> who's trying to trying to sell you a Naruto headband may not always be uh, quite so on the up and up. Yeah, and uh, uh, sort of to preface all of this, um, sometimes it, you run into a case where a, a seller who has a lot of legitimate merchandise be carrying a couple counterfeit things or sometimes a lot uh if they're a newer seller they might not even realize that what they're getting is counterfeit that they'll be like i just googled distributors for this stuff and i went with the one that had the cheapest price and it, especially if it's people that are just going into the business without having been uh fans themselves they are the people who are most easily preyed upon by these uh distributors um but obviously there are those who are fully aware that what they are uh, that what they're selling is counterfeit and uh, uh it, it can be a problem uh, there's no convention i can think of that does not have in their vendor policy a no bootlegging clause and if you encounter this type of thing uh on a convention floor i suggest that you contact uh convention staff that there's always going to be convention staff walking the floor and uh, i would say just sort of bring them aside and say, I have reason to believe that uh, this vendor is uh, selling counterfeit goods. Uh, you might want to have their stock checked. It, I would not advise necessarily saying to the vendor, hey, I think your stuff's fake. One, because if it's not, you're going to look like an ass, but also because it gives them a chance to cover their tracks if they are trying to be deceitful. Uh, so with that all said... The number one thing to look for for uh, counterfeits is copyright information, company logos, and uh, just titles. So if you see a box that is plain, that doesn't have any uh, mention of the show or the company or the copyright, it's fake. If you see something that has the name of the show but doesn't say the company that made it, that if you don't see that little you know C in a circle along with legal jargon, it's fake. There is no such thing as a licensed product that does not have this information either on its packaging or on its tag. Uh, in some cases, you might want to ask to see the packaging. Uh, this can be for figures, which is its own subset, but it just the number one thing to look for is copyright information and company information because uh, due to a sort of a legal quirk, um, it is an extra layer of illegal to use the imprint of a company on unofficial merch on top of the IP infringement of recreating one of their products. So there's a chunk of the, these bootleggers that won't do that extra bit because it's uh, much more enforceable. But that's not to say that the presence of copyright information is a total green flag, that there are plenty, especially the... Uh, higher-end counterfeiters that will still brazenly do this. So uh, that, that's going to be the number one red flag to look for, but also not a, a guarantee of authenticity. And I'm sure you both have seen plenty of these things that I'm talking about where it's, you know, it's a figure in just a plain white box or, you know, some recreation of a, an accessory that's in, like, 
some unmarked packaging. This is fantastic because this is stuff that I usually don't think about. So I feel like I'm learning important information. So thank yeah, you. It, and just like a, a, another easy way is just if you see, all right, there's a bunch of information and flashy art and stuff on the front, but the back is just a white pane. It's fake. Huh. Hitting some other major points uh, pretty quickly. Uh, if the title of the show is in a different text than normally you would see it. The uh, show logos are proper logos. That uh, for One Piece, it's uh, Luffy's uh, silhouette uh, as the eye in One Piece, and then there's like you know the rope and the anchor and all that stuff. Uh, if you see in just like you know blue block letters or sans serif font One Piece, it's fake. Um, if you uh, see something where it, the logo is pixelated, ninety nine percent chance there's fake. That there can be printing uh, uh, discrepancies but generally speaking uh, the companies are going to have very high resolutions here and uh, when uh, bootleggers lift these files and reprint them there is going to usually be some degradation uh, once again similar to copyright the presence of this does not the presence of a crisp logo does not automatically make it 100% good but if it's blatantly pixelated you know it's fake uh, if it says, like, Chinese edition, international edition, 99% chance it's bootlegged. Uh, in general, just look, it's the type of stuff that uh, everyone I've told this to, as soon as I tell them that, they always say, oh, this, is, this seems so obvious. Because it, it, it's not really complex stuff, but it's stuff that unless you are actively thinking to look for it, as a consumer, this is not what you look at in your products. You don't look for the copyright information. You don't really think about the resolution of the logos or the presence of a, a brand imprint. But once you know to just, you know, glance around the box, and it only takes a couple seconds to find, uh, I'd say, you know, a bit over 50% of counterfeits can fall to these simple checks. Wow, see, uh, I wonder if it's hard. Now, I'm going to try to do this going forward, but I wonder if it's been hard for me before and I've never thought about it, and most people haven't because they're just so blinded by, oh my God, it's my favorite character in this box. It's a figure. Oh my God. And they just, they just, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly why I thought this was a, a very important thing to kind of point out because a lot of us, you know, especially with, with our, our zeal for certain shows that may not be as well represented in terms of merchandise, we see a shiny that is related to that shiny thing we love we just want it. Yeah, and especially for me, like I say, I go for the things that I don't find other places. And unfortunately, sometimes when I find things that I can't find other places, it's because they're not actually legitimate. Uh. Precisely. Uh, and even for wall scrolls. Uh, so I, I see here you have a list of licensing companies, Joel. And one of them in particular, I think of uh, wall scrolls in association with them because... It, you go onto Amazon to try and find a wall scroll, you're going to find a lot of stuff that was very clearly lifted from some fan art off the internet, and it's like, that should not be there. <laughs> but uh, Fan art is never official. Yeah. Uh, fan art itself represents a very awkward gray area legally, but as of now, it, there isn't an inherent problem with selling fan art so long as it is sold as fan art not claiming to be official and that's that's the kind of thing i'm talking about here like you know people kind of passing it off as official or not they're they're not the original artist etc etc it's very clearly like oh it's we just put this on versions yeah check and make sure that sometimes they do do chibi versions like there's a lot of official chibi attack on titan merch yeah or, or even like unofficial uh printings of official materials that's another one that i wanted to kind of call out there because yeah. there's a lot of that too so let's go through that list of some of those companies because again one of them yeah. in particular really does uh hit onto the wall scrolls we were talking about i'm guessing the one that you're talking that about was just keep an eye on the time yes i'm guessing the one that you're looking at mario's great eastern entertainment you are correct sir yeah they they're a Big, big name. Uh, they've been around for a long time, and they do everything from keychains to T-shirts to uh, wall scrolls and everything in between. Another big one, especially in the past five years or so, is BioWorld. Um, they're actually based here in Texas, uh, right in the DFW area. Oh, no way. Uh, yeah. Uh, our mutual friend Toa has been to several of their warehouse uh, fire sales where they will just, you know, it, all the overstock stuff 
that they aren't listing anymore get sold at essentially manufacturer prices. So uh, it's always a fun thing. I've been hoping to go to one of those sometime. But uh, yeah, so Fireworld, Great Eastern Entertainment, Ripple Junction for shirts is a big one. And uh, all the different figure uh, manufacturers that Mario mentioned earlier. Um, I could do probably another good five, ten minute rant on the nuances of figures, but we're probably going to have to save that for another episode. But a lot of these things, when I was preparing the notes for this episode, I just Googled things to see if there was anything new. There's a lot of good articles out there with tips and photo references of, you know, here's an official versus a bootleg. And once you know what to look for, it can be pretty easy. You're not going to need a, a microscope or, you know, a jeweler's lens to figure out once you know what to look for. But uh, it, this type of bootlegging is a real problem in the industry. It hurts the companies and the creators, and it puts money in the pockets of people who don't deserve it. And sometimes uh, these bootleggers can be putting that money towards other illegal practices. So please always be mindful, be educated. If you've bought illegal stuff in the past, that's not like, we're not saying you're a terrible person, that a lot of the times people just don't know. But as always, you know, we say stay educated. So there you go. And kind of to put a a pin on this as we start to wrap up the episode, we were going to do a bit more of a deep dive into some of this, but we can definitely save it for a future episode. I just really want to highlight some good verified retailers that you can go to. Uh, This, of course, I'm certain a lot of our regular viewers and listeners uh, are probably aware of a lot of these, but if you're just getting into anime or you need to recommend some places to somebody because you know, they're maybe getting something for a relative and they don't know the first thing about anime. They just know that they really like this anime stuff. So some great verified retailers. Places like Crunchyroll, they have an official store online. Funimation, they have an official store online. GameStop, believe it or not, that is one of the biggest uh, places that Banpresto was getting a lot of their stuff out through. Uh, That's been one of their major repositionings as a company. The uh, the distribution of merchandise since used game sales uh, has, has proven to not be sustainable. Yeah, and then you have uh, AmiAmi.com as well as Tokyo Otaku Mode. Uh, Joel mentioned Right Stuff. That covers a lot of uh, different types of merchandise as well, uh, and especially for, for home video releases. They're a very good, very reliable place. And, of course, our beloved Image Anime. Um, Unfortunately, uh, because of the current circumstances, they have had to shutter their physical location, which makes me sad for so many reasons. (laughs) Not the least of which is the fact that now it'll be really hard to do that second season, guys. (laughs) But uh, also because Image Anime has been one of the stalwarts of, uh, of anime here in the New York City area but they still do maintain an online presence. So we definitely ask that you go check out imageanime.com for their e-commerce side. And hopefully once we're able to go to events again, they'll be able to kind of still be a presence at uh, shows across the country. And again, this is just a short list. There are so many individual retailers, probably in your own home territories, uh, but we're just singling these out because these are some of the very uh, high, high visibility, Uh, reliable ones that industry themselves have worked through and also ones that we've worked with ourselves personally and know that they are on the up and up. So um, before uh, I start the the proper uh, post-show wrap-up, Joel, Franji, do you guys have anything you want to share with us? No, Uh, just now I need to go buy everything because we've been talking about merch this whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that, that that was an unexpected perk of this episode. Also, I apologize to all the wallets uh, out there. In uh, the- you're skipping in and out again. Uh, I apologize to all of the wallets uh, that, that are out there that are about to yeah. be ravaged by, yeah, by way of this Yeah, my wallet's episode. coming for you. <laughs> so uh, buying all the merch. And Joel, anything from your end? Uh, nothing to talk about this week, but I will say keep an eye out because we will be announcing our next radio drama and next week. Rock and roll. Uh, you two already know what it is. It's going to be a good one. Yup. <laughs> uh, and since, uh, since Emmy is not here at this point in the show, I uh, just wanted to mention that she is going to be a part of another virtual event, uh, IdolCon. Uh, I, I'm actually pulling up the information right now just so we can uh have that for you um 
so idolcon it's it's basically uh an idol themed event she's going to be there to talk about her role in love life sunshine um it's purely virtual uh we'll probably put some more information up once it gets a little bit closer and i'm sure emmy will want to talk more about it uh, when it gets closer as well but congrats to emmy we're looking forward to to checking her out as a guest once again uh on some sort of a program and of course, speaking of programs, we have content running here on Digital Era Twitch five, sometimes six nights a week. We'll be back on Sunday with the next installment of Ken Cardez's playthrough of Ghost of Tsushima, which inspired our Samurai episode from last week. Of course, you can also check out our main website, digitaleraentertainment.com, for uh, past episodes of our podcast, as well as written content and more. And of course, uh, our YouTube channel, which uh, for those of you watching live is also available at the top of your screen, is once again getting an update in a few days time. This past Monday, we updated with uh, the first part of our summer camp edition of the radio dramas, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And this coming Monday will be Clue that will be up uh, this Monday on our YouTube channel, uh, which again, you can find at the top of your screen or through digitaleraentertainment.com. Of course, you can find all of us across social media at all of the stuff you see on your screen there. And uh, yeah, we will be back next week with another fun episode for your listening pleasure. Once again, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, stay informed, and we'll see you again soon. Take care, everyone. Boom.